I would intense. never have thought of that. Yeah. Do you have goggles? Was, no, that could have been. It wasn't bothering my eyes. Oh, should purchase yourself a pair pair of goggles. Why do you have goggles? Wait, 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 wait. For those of you who are not, on I realize the YouTube, it's not a it's not a visual medium. Um, Sarah literally so just had oh, no. safety goggles sitting next to her computer, and she picked them up and putting them on. Welcome to Attached, a podcast about the loved ones we're attached to and the good, the bad, and the ugly advice about those relationships that maybe we shouldn't be so attached to. We here at Attached want to share ways to enhance your relationships and debunk all of that bad relationship advice using science. I'm Dr. Patricia Robertson out of the University of Tennessee. I'm Dr. Jacob Priest from the University of Iowa. And I'm Dr. Sarah Woods at UT Southwestern Medical Center. Today, Jacob's going to bring us something silly, but with a dash of ominous in a pop and culture. Then in Academic Deep Dive, we're going to discuss the academic article, Loving You From Afar, Attraction to Others, Crushes, Among Adults in Exclusive Relationships, Communication, Perceived Outcomes, and Expectations for Future Intimate Involvement. <gasps> It's telling a story, that title. It's telling a story. And then, in good or bad advice, we're going to discuss, drumroll please, TikToks. It's back. We're so excited. Or is it just me? It's fine. Whatever. Are we doing the milk crate challenge? Is that what we're doing? No. I love that you brought that up because my guess is that it is just now Instagram. That was like months ago on TikTok. So bless it. Um, <laughs> bless it. Bless it. I'm so not cool. <laughs> TikToks and other social medias we'll be discussing. I know that you guys have all been desperately missing those TikToks. Uh, I know I have. So they are back. Yes. Um, as always, if you have advice you'd like us to talk about, send it to us. You can email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us, Facebook us, Instagram us, all at attachedpodcast, or go to attachedpodcast.com and send us a message. Um, believe it or not, uh, we are also on YouTube. So if you want to check out a video of this podcast and look at all of our faces whilst recording, check it out there. As always, please remember to rate and review on your favorite podcast app or on YouTube. But before we get to all of this goodness on this episode, how are you guys doing? What's up? Tell me stories. How's it going? It's fall in Iowa and it's beautiful. <laughs> This is the time of year where <laughs> Iowa outshines all the rest of the states in the United States. Yeah, you keep saying that. You keep saying that. We've got an incredible football team. Also over the summer, I don't know if you heard, we had the Field of Dreams actual baseball game. Highest rated baseball game ever. I think in the last 10 years watched ever. The leaves in Iowa are turning gorgeous colors. We're getting geared up for the Galena Halloweena extravaganza. And <laughs> again, well. uh, this podcast brought to you by Iowa <laughs> Tourist Go Destination. Go <laughs> Go no, but we're doing really well. Just, you know, enjoying the fall, kind of settling into a rhythm in the semester, but it just feels like the rhythm is frantic and frenetic. Yeah, for sure. And I feel never, that. never ending. But, you know, we're we're hanging in there. Good to hear. Glad the leaves are turning. Beautiful colors there. We still got lush green here in Tennessee, but um, I'm glad Iowa is marching towards uh, the tundra of winter. Woods? <laughs> I have been playing fantasy football lately. What? Yeah. I haven't done it in years. Uh, and my brothers <laughs> finally remembered that every year I'm, like, really sad about that um, – well, and my husband too, they they always tend to be in a league together. And I'm like, oh, I feel like it would make football more engaging if I had yeah. a fake team. And I did a lot of research pre-draft um, to, <laughs> to try to understand what and who, but especially on players' vaccination status. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's a really good factor. I think that's a great factor. I, thank you. I didn't want to lose my team a quarter through the season uh, because they were sick. 
apparently that vaccination status is not necessarily tied to athletic performance, doing very <laughs> poorly with my actual fantasy football team out the gate. Um, I drafted, but benched some solid players and uh, it's been um, a really interesting reintroduction to mm. the fantasy football world. Thank you so much for asking. <laughs> Well, I am glad. It's always nice to have um, something that takes your mind off uh, work and stressors all around. So I'm glad you have that. And I'm glad Jacob has the leaves to look at to take his mind off all of that stuff. Uh, oh, yeah. One with nature. Simpatico, you, Jacob. And That's nature. Me. Yeah. Yep. Whenever I think of nature, I think Jacob. You know what yeah. I mean? Jacob. I mean, <laughs> Jacob. <laughs> like, just embracing the outdoors. Totally. Yeah. Catch you guys up on my Ted Lasso. Last time we talked, I was experiencing Ted Lasso and I was really excited about a specific couple. And when I said that, I could see in both of your eyes, like a sadness or like a silence from both of you guys, which was scary for me. Okay. Um, that something was happening that I wasn't sure Share more was, about that, come? Patricia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's I thought going on like, for you? yeah, 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 exactly. So that fear and anxiety that I saw something like some silence in your eyes, like some oh holding back conversation in your eyes based on my love of them has frozen me. So I actually haven't seen any more Ted Lasso because I'm oh, so no. <laughs> I've also been really, really busy, but I thought I would just blame you guys instead. <laughs> That's fair. Obviously isn't rightfully. Rightfully, rightfully so. But in other news, and um, I know all of our fans are aching to hear about how my food processing is going. I processed a bunch of peppers yesterday. I'm trying to make hot sauce. um, And I even wore gloves, but my fingertips are still tingling because I think it went through the gloves. Oh no. Yeah. Tingling with the capsaicin, I guess. And it was, there is so much in the air. My six months old, like little eyes started to water. So we had to move him outside (laughs) and then like around his little lips, it started to get a little bit of red because there was so much capsaicin in the air. So we had to move him outside. So moral of the story, I suppose, lessons learned. But I think pepper processing is best for the outdoors, mm-hmm. not inside one's yeah. kitchen. It I was would intense. never have thought of that. Yeah. Do you have goggles? Was, no, that could have been. It wasn't bothering you my eyes. Oh, should purchase yourself a pair pair of goggles. Why do you, wait, you have how, goggles? Wait, 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 wait. For those of you who are not, on I realize the it's, YouTube, not a, it's not a visual medium. Um, Sarah literally oh, no. just had oh, no. safety goggles sitting next to her computer, and she picked them up. And putting them on. Right. Why do you have safety goggles? <laughs> yes, tell us why you have safety uh, goggles next to your computer. Well, for COVID, so that I have multiple pairs of different kinds of goggles oh. to wear in the hospital and in the clinic. Uh, these, This pair just happens to be right next to my recording <laughs> area. But just, I, in case, I mean, just, just in case you want to make people that are in the hospital while you're at home feel comfortable, you just feel put those extra safety goggles Yes, we're all safe together. And I'm going to send you a pair, Patricia, to protect you. And maybe if I can find a tiny baby pair to protect your son. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Uh, I I want everybody to know that we're all okay um, now. It's just my fingertips are still tingly from it. It's weird. First up, popping culture. We learned about relationships from our friends and family, but... A lot of what we think about love and relationships come from what we see in pop culture. For this first segment, we like to take a moment to highlight events in pop culture that influence people's lives and how we view relationships. Jacob, what you got for us? Have either of you watched Kim's Convenience? No, but it has been recommended to me on Netflix, right? Okay, highly recommend. So, um... Kim's Convenience really focuses on the Kim family and the convenience store they run, right? So they are Korean immigrants to Canada. um, And there's a lot of really great relational storylines that go on. Um, But I want to talk about specifically one uh, episode from season two because I think it is amazing. 
So the Kims, you have Mr. Kim and Mrs. Kim and their two kids, Janet and Jung. And Mr. Kim and the son Jung have like a really fractured relationship. It gets repaired over the seasons, which is really cool. Um, but in season two, it's still kind of strained. So they're focusing mostly, uh, you know, it's it really looks at like Janet and how she works in the convenience store with with her with her parents. Um, so Janet's working there as this episode opens and her mom and dad, Mr. and Mrs. Kim, are going to go on a date night. Mrs. Kim loves to dance and she's got her dancing shoes on and is going out to dance. And Mr. Kim has golf clubs. And Janet <laughs> says, wait a second, what, what are you doing? Like, it's date night. Aren't you supposed to do something together? Like, no, we're, we're, we want to do these separate things. It's really good for us to both be able to do these things separately. But, of course, Janet kind of was like, wait a second, this isn't how date night's supposed to work. Mm -hmm. So she kind of guilts her father into trying to figure out how to dance and showing up for, you know, um, Mrs. Kim's dance classes. Uh, so he tries to practice. He tries to figure it out. He shows up and Mrs. Kim looks at him like, what? what are you doing? Like, why are you here? Yeah. He's like, well, I'm trying to be here to dance with you. And she's like, that's really sweet. I really appreciate that. But I don't want to dance with you. You're not a good dancer. <laughs> and you don't want to be here. Anytime I ask you to dance, you make a noise. And he goes, what noise? And she says, do you want to dance with me? And he goes, oh. And she's like, <laughs> right? And then, then he's like, well, anytime I ask you to go golfing with me, you make the same noise. And so they uh, come back and they talk to Janet and they're like, we work together. We spend a lot of time together. Yeah. And we have things, even though we're calling it date night, that we like to do on our own. We love each other, but we want to be able to go out and spend time on our own. And then the funniest part is Janet has moved out, but she's hanging out at her parents' house that evening trying to watch a movie after they've gotten back from date night where they both went separately. And they walk out, and Mr. Kim's like, Janet, what are you doing here? She's like, well, I was going to watch a movie. He's like, well, you know how we had our separate time? Now we're going to have our together time. I mean, really together time. She's like, oh, I'm going to leave. I'm out of here. <laughs> so what I love about this is often we think of connection, of doing, of shared similar activities as super important relationships, which it is, right? right? But that can look different. This family right. works together. They, they live in the same space they work. They're with each other all the time. But they, these two parents, who I think have a great relationship throughout the show, show that it's important to have individual endeavors. That doesn't mean that you should not do anything with your partner because that could be problematic, but it's okay if you like to golf and your partner says, Ugh, and you still go and golf as long as that separateness time, also you have that time where you're together. And I think both are really important. And that's what I loved right. about this episode is it so goes against the grain of what we think should be like how couples should be spending their time. If you really love your partner, you should learn to dance. Maybe that's the case, but maybe also you should let your partner pursue that love, that passion that they have and, and give them that space to do that. So when you come together, you both have things to talk about. And that's one of the things I loved about the line is they said, we work together all day. If we don't go and do things separately, we don't have anything to talk about. Right. So um, it's just really well done. It's really funny. Um, it's it, it's worth checking out because there are so, I mean, I could talk and talk and talk yeah. about so many great episodes that demonstrate really good family relationships and connections. And it's really funny. So all, awesome. four, all four or five seasons are on Netflix now and it's worth checking out. Awesome. What I also like about what you said is kind of one thing that we harp on a lot in this podcast is these cultural definitions of things that when it's applied to your relationship, it doesn't fit, right? So a date night, quote unquote, is when you go out together to a date and you do something together. That's kind of like our cultural definition or, you know, societal definition of what that is. But when you map it onto a, their relationship, it doesn't work. 
But that doesn't mean their relationship is bad. It just means they adjust and they have a different definition of that. And that's completely fine. These societal definitions don't work for every single relationship. And that doesn't mean your relationship is bad. It just means that that's not it. You're going to define it in a different way. And it works. Fantastic. Yeah. Now we're going to move to our academic deep dive segment and talk about a super new paper titled Loving You From Afar, Attraction to Others, Crushes, Among Adults in Exclusive Relationships, Communication, Perceived Outcomes, and Expectations for Future Intimate Involvement. Written by Dr. Lucia O'Sullivan and Charlene Bailu at the University of New Brunswick and Dr. Justin Garcia at Indiana University. Recently published in the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships, these authors explore crushes, which they describe as early stage attractions to another person who is not your partner usually one directional and not reciprocated, that we keep to ourselves. A sort of secret, quote, unfulfilled longing that we generally don't intend to act on. Crushes tend to be more about fantasy, like maybe how I think of, um, like, comedians, celebrity comedians that I just am obsessed with. Is that what we're talking about here? No, these are people in in real life, right? Um, The authors explain we usually attribute to young people, but research suggests it's pretty common among adults too. However, while some research suggests crushes among other adults may have very little or no impact on their current romantic relationship, there is also some evidence that attraction to others while we're in a relationship may be associated with infidelity and breakups. But once we're in a committed relationship, are the crushes we experience really any different than when we're single? Very interesting question. And if we're with someone we love, why do we crush at all? Very good questions. Sarah. It's just a little crush. Yeah. I was about to sing that too. (laughs) So Sarah, as you might imagine, I'm already crushing on this paper. Please uh, fill in the science deets for us if you wouldn't mind. I would not. It, this paper does three different studies using four different wow. data sets to explore these questions. Um, Amazing. So yeah, really kind of uh, trying to target this from a few different angles. In general, they're looking at crushes among people in committed intimate relationships. So their samples for each of these three studies are people who have been in committed exclusive relationships of three or more months, but they also um, admit to having a crush. So uh, they blinded those sort of entry inclusion questions um, among lots of different questions to be able to select their sample and not give away sort of the purpose of the study. That's a sample they ended up with. Somebody who was in a relationship that's committed and exclusive and was attracted to somebody other than their primary partner using lots of crowdsourcing, uh, like MTurk and sort of online survey methods. So their first study looked at types of crushes uh, that were had between people in committed relationships and compared to single people. These are lifetime crushes. So they're looking at whether people in a committed relationship have fewer crushes, but I do think it's important context to remember that it's not sort of in the time span of when they've been in this relationship. They do predict- I understand. Which is a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So it's across a lot. So it could even include like adolescent crushes too. Uh, I don't know if they had a a timeline as part of the window at all. Um, So I do, I think it's important context, but sort of their preliminary entry study into, is it different for people in a committed relationship? They do think that people in a relationship will have fewer crushes. They won't communicate them directly. They're less likely to flirt. And that that might even be more so for women than men. Mm. So they had a sample of 292 adults, uh, 22 to 45 years old but they compared them to a similarly aged, uh, mostly demographically matched uh, sample of single adults, 2,400 of them in the Singles in America study, which is that annual cross-sectional survey done by match.com. 
Um, so it's not a match.com specific sample, but it's a survey that is done by that organization. Um, and so they asked uh, participants about a range of crushes they had ever experienced. So friend, neighbor, celebrity, they didn't specify comedian, but maybe that's part of the celebrity category. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. super but, ce celebrity. You're comedians. probably not alone. And we're definitely not going to judge that. Uh, <laughs> we're, um, they asked, they asked people oh, to oh, rank. We're totally judging that. It's a very specific category. I uh, explicitly did not name the comedian that sure. like I have been. John Mulaney. Uh, no, you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> Rewind that, to season one or season two. And hear more about yeah, just like I don't think crushed. it's a secret. I mean. <laughs> I know, but I can't talk about him now because what is he doing? I, I don't I'm, know anything not about to him. Not to derail this, but what's going on? <laughs> not to derail what's happening there? Well, we need to talk about that in pop and culture one of these episodes. <laughs> I mean, that's... That's a pop and culture app. Yeah, right? sorry. We digress. Only, so they asked only these people <laughs> to rank the ways you'd prefer to tell a crush that you're attracted to them from most to least preferred. For example, like texts through a friend or not at all. Also, ways that you would flirt with someone you had a crush on, mm -hmm. tease them, comment on their social media profiles, or I would not flirt with them. Like I would, I would not touch it. Uh, so what they found is that people in relationships were more likely to have had crushes. The most common types were friends, peers at school, coworkers. Mm. That was seventy percent of the people oh. in relationships said they'd had a crush on a coworker, and uh, those fantasy. So targets. I am again definitely in the minority there. Yeah. No, well. <laughs> Yeah, fantasy, fantasy wasn't a huge focus of this project because they were sort of interested in the evolution of crushes. Like, does it sort of lead to anything? Yeah. Yours could lead to something. I, it won't. I don't know. It won't, it, that'd be probably best. And, but less, uh, these people in relationships were less likely to tell a crush about their attraction. Over half would oh. not do that. Yeah. If they are going to communicate, though, they're more likely than single people to do it face-to-face. Two-thirds people range that first if they were going to communicate at all or through a friend. So the authors sort of hypothesize maybe they're sort of looking at that point to see if it's actually viable. They want to be a little bit more direct about it in that circumstance. Um, okay, so what you're saying is that people in relationships are more likely if they're going to make contact with the crush, it's either in person or through a friend. Right, they're less likely in general to tell the person by far. Right, right, right. But if they are going to do it, they're going to go for it. <laughs> right, I mean, it makes sense yeah. because also if it fails, you don't want evidence on social media. Sure. That's, that's, one, that's one way to look at it. You see, yeah. I feel like you've All thought about this a little bit. Yeah. I haven't. But like, it makes sense to me. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, you don't sure, want sure. proof on social media. They're also far more likely to flirt than singles. So I don't know how this plays into your theory, Patricia, but compared to singles, they're more likely to flirt and they're more likely to do it through sharing online videos and memes. So I don't, I don't know how that works for your theory to text them, to compliment them, help them do something they need. So oh, they were, yeah. um, they sort of the authors hypothesize maybe that flirting is sort of the safe fairly indirect way to sort of signal attraction, but without any intention to really do it. There was no difference between men and women. So not this gender difference that they expected. Um, so there's some indication that uh, people in relationships at the very least don't crush less than single people yeah. and potentially crush more. Oh. Um, so study two, what goals do crushes meet? That's what they're going to look at now. Interesting. Um, like if we're doing, if we have crushes, like what is, what's sort of the purpose of that? What are we going to, what does that add to our lives, if anything? So they thought maybe men will report more positive and fewer negative outcomes. That was their hypothesis. So this sample was 123 participants, again, established intimate relationships relationship crushed with someone they knew this time they ruled out anybody with celebrity crushes Patricia's out of the sample 18 to 45 <laughs> years old oh so for these participants they defined what a crush was sort of normalized it and then said do you currently have a crush or attraction to someone other than your romantic partner and these people said yes so rate uh, they rated 12 possible positive and negative outcomes of the crush oh. uh, was having for them. Um, and then also they asked them to describe those outcomes in their own words. So it's a mixed methods approach, qualitative yeah. research as well. They found that a hundred percent. So they currently have a crush, of course, that's sort of, wow. what they, but the average number was two current crushes. Wow. Um, yeah. And uh, 55% What's that standard deviation sample, around it? It was, it was large. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. So it wasn't just two for a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, fifty-five percent of people typically had a crush at least half of the time that they're in a relationship. Um, wow. And people in general pretty strongly agreed crushes are for fun. They add excitement to their day. 
Um, okay. That was sort of the biggest picture from the um, quantitative, like the survey responses yeah. and the qualitative. This was the theme that pulled out. They they add excitement to my day, sure. which if a lot of these are coworkers, again, different samples, but if a lot of these are coworkers, that'd be a pretty regular source of fun. Um, uh, on it's average- Liven up that work day. I guess so. Um, on average, people, the sample disagreed moderately with negative outcomes. Like they did in general across the negative outcomes they were mm-hmm. asked about, they were like, this is not, ne- this is not contributing negatively to my partnership, oh. my current partnership. Men reported significantly stronger positive mm-hmm. effects. They thought that they had positive impacts on their current relationship, increased their oh. desire and attraction to their partner, okay. made them feel as if their life was complete. Okay. And these are the all quality- heterosexual. No, they are not. Okay. Um, so they had, um, uh, especially because they were crowdsourced, they had said that they had pulled sort of a decent sexual minority sample mm-hmm. in these crowdsourced samples, which they said is expected. I guess I've never done cool. crowdsourced research through no. like MTurk and um, those online surveys, but I guess yeah. it sort of is better accessing that sample in general. Nice. Qualitative codes did show some negative outcomes. There were some like moral concerns that maybe crushes mm. represent dishonesty, betrayal. Mm. And what, what's the risk of the relationship if my crush is discovered? Um, if they go on to my social media accounts. Uh, <laughs> but I'm telling you guys, just do it so in person. That's right. Just go for it. That's, uh, that's <laughs> is that good or bad advice? Yeah. Is that what oh, oh, boy. Unsure. Unclear. Un- Unclear. Well, I'm going to sit on the like, fence on that one. <laughs> I feel like we shouldn't, but um, study three, they did a, this is qualitative. So they asked people about their expectations of crushes. Like how do they think these crushes will develop? What are they going to lead to? This is a 513 participants. And again, the crush was somebody they knew. Wow. Um, Patricia, your question was about where they all, uh, like straight heterosexual couples. Yeah. This was half and half men and women. A quarter of this sample was sexual minority, awesome. uh, 72% white. Um, so they asked them first to sort of tell us a story of the attraction that you have to this specific person. Sure. How did these feelings develop? Where do you see this attraction going? Where would you like it to go? And they found by far the sample did not expect it to develop intimately um, okay. because one or both of them were in a relationship. They wanted to maintain the friendship that they had. Only a very small minority, like 5.5% indicated an expectation that it would develop intimately. And there weren't gender differences around that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm also curious, like what the quality of their current relationship is for that 5% is makes yeah. me curious about that. Absolute limitation of this data. They didn't assess relationship quality of the current relationship. And I think you're absolutely right. That's got to... Uh, be related to whether or not these crushes develop, how it's connected to relationship instability. In general, I think there are some limitations to crowdsource data. Also, their age range is a little bit limited. We're sort of here targeting this sort of narrow range of uh, young adult and midlife. But yeah, the current relationship quality not assessed is definitely a limitation. What they did sort of find is that for those in committed relationships, crushes are really common, uh, but they are really from afar. So they're sort of deliberately unfulfilled in general. Um, They're Mm. not without guilt. So there is Mm. some guilt that these people are experiencing. Um, So it's possible they sort of maybe help us monitor alternatives. Like when we're Mm. in a current relationship, we're sort of maybe keeping our eye a little bit on like sort of can have this fun and enjoyment, but also sort of know what's out there. If anything happened to this relationship, it does involve flirting. Um, but the goal really is to keep the attraction, I say under the covers. That's not, that's not right. Goal to keep, goal to the, keep the attraction covert, really on the lockdown. And there's some indications, at least from these people, not their partners, that maybe crushes have a positive impact on their current partnership, Yeah, uh, which is sort of an interesting, interesting process to think about. Yeah. I, it made me particularly for study two that you're referencing that, you know, there's not really any negative impact. It's all positive on my relationship. I wonder what their response would be if the questions were like, your partner is flirting with a crush at work. Is that, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? And is that positive or negative? Do you think that could positively or negatively impact your relationship? Oh, sure. No, I think um, there's got to be dyadic research here, but even yeah. sort of the perspective taking that yeah. you're talking about is is really interesting and to sort of compare it within the same survey would be really very cool, I think. I was going to say too, I, I kind of think this is interesting. It speaks to levels of openness in relationships, right? Often we just think of um, 
either monogamous or people who have open relationships and that there's no in-between. And this wasn't necessarily getting at that, but I think that there are couples that can have rules around flirting and going out. And mm-hmm. as long as they're yes. discussed and um, the boundaries are known, um, it can potentially be a fulfilling thing for a relationship. So I, that's that's what I think is really interesting here is they're showing that there yeah. is this level of, I mean, it's not like what we'd call an open relationship, right. but the, that dimension of what is the boundary of the relationship. And if they really are actually having positive outcomes for their relationship, yeah. it may not be a bad thing. Well, to that point, Jacob, that second study did ask about whether their exclusivity contracts, like their understandings mm. with their current partners had anything to do uh, explicitly with crushes. And a quarter of the sample said that they did have an understanding with their partner that exclusivity included crushes, that crushes were not okay to be part of the relationship. No. But over half said that they didn't have that sort of agreement with their partner. And like one in five said they weren't sure, which is... Which is sort of, I agree, an interesting boundary to yeah. think about. Do, are, do we ever sort of explicitly talk about this? For one in one in four, they said we do talk about it, and that's not okay. It's not. It's not on the table for us. So, um, so I think that's a really interesting point too. Mm. Finally, time for good or bad advice, where we talk about pervasive relationship advice in our culture. We hear relationship advice from parents, family, and friends. We see advice about how to be in relationships in movies and TV shows. And we read endless advice spewed at us on all of those social medias, blogs, and the numerous top 10 lists. But a lot of it just isn't actually good for our relationships. This is the part of the show where we use science, mind you, science to decide if the advice is good or bad. If you have seen or heard some advice you'd like us to talk about, send it to us. Email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com or get at us on the Twitters, the Insta, the Facebook at attachedpodcast or go to attachedpodcast.com and send us a message. While you're at it, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app or YouTube, if that's what you're into. As always, share it with your loved ones because people love when podcasts are pushed upon them. <laughs> it is true. That's so hard. <laughs> you hate it. Do no, it. Listen it. to it. Listen to it. The number you of times I've uh, recommended other podcasts to people and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll listen to it. But anyway, you can do it. I know you can. I know you can make this recommendation. Today, we're going to bring you some TikToks and some Instagram posts. Uh, that revolve around relationship advice. Are you guys ready? Yes, let's do it. Uh, first up, we're going to start with a TikTok from Resting Bish Face Mama. Uh, this is her differentiating between the parent she thought uh, she would be versus the parent she is. For context, the point of view is her talking to her kid who climbed a tree and is too scared to climb down. They're completely valid, and I fully understand why you're scared right now and mommy will help you listen bro chacho i'm right here i'm watching but if you can climb up a tree you can climb down a tree we did this yesterday you're not stuck and if you're too scared to climb down you probably shouldn't have climbed up that's that's where we're sitting on this Go team. Honey, you're. I love it. The first one is, honey, your feelings are completely valid. And the second one is, uh, my guy, you got yourself up there. Uh, you know, you can get yourself down. Uh, you're good. Uh, yeah. And go team. So, what are your thoughts? It's not really a good or bad advice one, but maybe just uh, differences between the parent you thought you'd be and the parent you are. Good or, good or bad perspective advice on that? I don't know. You guys figure it out. I, Jacob. <laughs> I'm going to say good advice because uh-huh. I think both types of parenting can be good depending on what the kid needs, right? Yeah. It sounds to me like she has a kid who probably needs the second type of parenting. Like, all right, dude, we did this yesterday. You've done this before. I get that you're scared, but like, 
this is a pattern. Let's have some natural consequences come yeah. in there. I'll help you if you, you know, like, and there might be some kid who maybe it's their first time climbing a tree and they're all of a sudden they get up there and they were trying to be really brave and they got scared. And you're like, Hey, I'm here for you. Let's work this together. So both responses can be good based on the context and based on the kid and your relationship with the kid. Yeah. So I like it. I think good advice. I agree. Good advice. Okay. Woods. I also agree. Uh, I think sort of using whichever approach fits your kid in the moment is tailoring your parenting to your specific child and the specific context and hopefully fostering independence, which is really developmentally yeah. appropriate uh, versus like uh, the alternative to either might be sort of more helicopter parenting and moving in and sort of over surveilling and doing things for your kids. Um, I do sort of envision if I was like caught up high somewhere and couldn't get down and someone was spending time validating my fear, <laughs> like I would be so frustrated. Like, please, please, like either give me confidence, tell me I'm capable or like literally help me down from a tree, but validating my fear right now. Like I know it's legitimate. I'm really high up. <laughs> so I do really like that second approach a lot. Yeah. So good advice overall. And I, and I also think the second one is probably more true to who she is as a parent, right? Like I think that the, there are these expectations that we're always supposed to be this mother or this parent who talks like this and like talks our kid like this and like, it's okay. But if that's not who you are as a parent and there's genuinely some parents out there and that's who they are as a parent, but if it's not who you are, your kids are going to see through that. Right. You can only keep that up for so for so long. But what I love particularly about that is the that who she is as a parent or who she wanted to be as a parent is embedded in who she is as a parent. Right. Like she validated the emotions. She she and she also reminded the kid about the contacts, too, and did it in a funny, like down to earth, low key way that like fits better for her as a parent. And I guarantee you parenting for her is a lot less exhausting being true to who she is as a parent than trying to put on the persona that she wanted to be as a parent. Next, we're going to move to the Instagram. This is an account called We're Not Really Strangers. Have you guys heard of this group? We're Not Really Strangers. So some of my undergraduates told me about it. Um, from what I can gather, this group, their mental health awareness group, and are known for doing these cool street art projects that go viral, but they also have this automatic text message, automated text message that you can sign up for and get these kind of reaffirming or um, maybe sometimes like a reality check type text messages um, that people um, sign up for. And uh, like some of the jokes are like, oh my gosh, we're not really strangers. Are you guys looking over my shoulder right now? Like some of them are like really insightful to the point where it feels like they know you super well. So whatever the case is, people seem to really, really like it. So here is a post of one of their street art pics from Instagram. I feel comfortable around you is the best compliment in the world. Good or bad advice? If somebody told me I feel comfortable around you, that wouldn't be for me the best compliment in the world. I think mm. I think what they're getting at is like like when I want my compliments, I want it to be a little bit more funny and effusive when it comes to my compliments. <laughs> that maps on. Jacob's humility coming through. <laughs> but I mean, I think what I like about this is um, when you're formulating a relationship and you can bring all the parts of yourselves, whether that be like if you struggle with mental health issues or whatever the context might be, and, you know, and you're in a relationship and you feel comfortable and safe with someone, I think that is a really great compliment about the relationship itself, right? So yeah, it's more good chaotic. advice. When you are looking at the context of your relationships, if you feel really comfortable around somebody, that's good information. Is it the best compliment in the world? I don't know. I, I can think of a lot better compliments that, like, you know, if if Go I'm on, on a date night, I would rather have you say, wow, you look really good in those clothes tonight more so than I feel so comfortable around you. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So I'm going to say okay. good advice. Because in the context of a relationship, that's a great way to assess how you feel. 
But if you're going to compliment me, you got to up your game a little bit. Good, good to know. That's all I can I say. I feel comfortable so. around both of you. That's why I can say these things. That's right. So that's a good compliment. Woods? We're not- I actually agree with, I actually agree with Jacob. Do you really? <laughs> all right, go on, Woods. Uh, I think as a therapist um, and like sort of a really... Um, someone whose whole whole life orients towards empathy uh, a lot of people feel really comfortable around oh interesting me. and um uh, that's fantastic and I that's really my goal and I'm so glad when it's effective and it works and if it doesn't then I would feel so awful but it also for me personally pulls a lot on like my um mental emotional labor mm. like people strangers feel really comfortable to like I know so much about so many people I'll never see again um so uh I do agree with Jacob that I think um emotional safety in relationships is so important and a really good piece of information to give to somebody that you're connected to uh and also maybe not the best compliment to give somebody so a good characteristic of a relationship but you also could consider when giving compliments to tell people that they look hot or anything to say about them and not the relationship necessarily. Yeah. Okay, 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 yeah. okay. Okay. Compliments, so that's compliments. Sort of, you know what I mean? Yeah. So what we're saying is that this is good advice if we're complimenting only the relationship, but if we're looking to compliment the individual and as we've talked about having, you know, together time and individual time, is important. Also having compliments for the relationship and compliments for the individual is also important. So don't forget that person is an individual and compliment them as an individual as well. But I also really love the advice, but that's fine. Um, (laughs) Tell us how you really feel about it. No, I I reframed that to where I agree with it. Staying with the gram, this is a quote from the couple syllabus. The couple bubble is an agreement to put the relationship before anything and anyone else. It means putting your partner's well-being, self-esteem, and distress relief first. And it means your partner does the same for you. Stan Tatkin, posted by the couple syllabus. Good or bad advice, Jacob? Bad advice. Let me tell you why I think so. Yeah, go on. We're listening. We're all ears. You're going to put the relationship before anything and anyone else. That's not always going to work all the time, right? There's sometimes when, you know, if your parent is in need of a caregiver and you've got to step up to take care of that parent, at that time, you've got to put the relationship maybe on the second tier while you're taking care of that person, Right. Right. Or maybe on the third tier, if you're in the sandwich generation and you also have young kids. Right. Like, I don't like this idea that the fixed nature of priorities in a relationship all Mm -hmm. the time. Right. We can have um, priorities around certain relationships at certain times. That doesn't mean we should neglect your romantic relationships, but I feel like putting that on this is always priority number one is going to set you and your partner up for some disappointment because life happens, right? Other relationships are important. And actually being able to put time and investment into those other relationships is going to help sustain your romantic partnership. Um, So for me, this is bad advice. Bad advice from Jacob Woods. I would agree agree with Jacob that um, that the advice that this is always sustainable is really questionable. I do sort of think it's good advice in terms of um, describing like the foundation of a relationship in terms of orienting yourself towards like prioritizing your partner sort of on average, sort of as a foundation to the relationship in terms of what I hear also sort of maybe a foundation of emotional safety and uh, understanding your partner's life goals and uh, having their back, keeping them safe. And um, also this other third piece that I think I hear, Patricia, is about balance. It's about that the partner has to do that 
too, so that it's a dyadic process. So if, if that's a foundation yeah. of our, of our relationship, it's not just me sort of always giving right. and you always taking it's that we're both sort of giving towards each other and our orientation is both towards each other. So we also both receive from the other person right. versus sort of this one directional process of right. emotional safety. Does that make sense what I'm saying? It, it does make sense. And I, I like the emphasis on it's a way to frame yourself for the foundation of a relationship. But what Jacob is saying is like the day-to-day execution of this yes. is, yeah, is yeah, yeah. problematic. And I agree yeah. with your, your saying that it, it kind of hints at the dyadic necessity of this, but it was kind of like an add-on. Like, it's like, you need to do all of this, all this, all that. Also, your partner should do it too. It's like literally the last half a sentence is, is that as well? In that, in that Instagram clip. Yes. I think, yes. um, Stan that, um, the author of that quote, yeah. Stan Tatkin is, is very couple oriented. Mm, so yeah, my okay. guess is in the bigger picture, it really it's is about different. that dyadic okay. having each other's backs piece is um, more dyadic, which is, which is but, yeah. really wonderful to yeah, hear. Yeah, yeah. But another issue with like Instagrammable mm-hmm. quotes is you lose that context Absolutely. piece Absolutely. for sure. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, uh, from the foundational piece, good advice, but um, from the day-to-day boots on the ground type of execution of a relationship, maybe could be problematic. Okay, so this next one, we're going to go back to TikTok. Some advice from X Gillum. For some context, this gentleman has 4.2 million followers. If you guys break up and still can't leave each other alone... You belong together. When you're meant to be, your connection will always find its way back. And here is a a stitch, a rebuttal to that by at Sierra uh, Piper. If you guys break up and still can't leave each other alone, you belong together. No, I'm pretty sure we were just in a toxic cycle. Thank you. Good or bad advice? What are you guys thinking? That first part by whoever that... Gillum, yep. That is not accurate, right? If you are in a place where you are can't leave each other alone after you've broken up, it's not a healthy sign in a relationship. Research around cyclical relationships shows that they don't tend to get better when you get when you break up and get back together, break up and get back together, you're just engaging in the same toxic cycle. So Sierra Piper, good on you. I that that is the best advice you will hear in response to that right. the first TikTok. No, that's a toxic cycle. A hundred percent. And again, for some context, he has four point two million followers and she has um one thousand two hundred and eight. So what information is getting out there um, is really concerning. Woods? Yeah, fully agree with Jacob. The science uh, definitely supports that cyclical relationships, when we um, break up in a relationship and then we get back together, uh, those relationships don't tend to be quite as healthy. They don't tend to last. They experience sort of repeated instability over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so cycle once you're at further risk of cycling again in the future, it's, it isn't a measure of fate, which is also right. not scientific. So good advice, Sierra. Horrible advice, if I can say, uh, ex um, on the TikToks. Now, next we're going to move to Instagram at their secrets in love says couples have dated for 10 years, then got married and divorced after a year. Strangers have had sex on the first date and are now celebrating their 15th anniversary. Some get married after six months and are still happily married. There's no formula to this. Do what makes you happy. Good or bad advice? I think the good piece of this advice is this idea that there needs to be a formulaic process in if you've dated for 10 years or if you've dated for, you know, like there, there's a predetermined amount of time that is going to lead to a successful relationship. I'm not in the boat where like, oh, you meet somebody, you get engaged and you get married within two weeks. That's, I don't feel like that's the healthy place you yeah, want to go. But yeah. I do think that there's some, um, uh, 
some some strength in saying, okay, we can create our own timeline, our own meaning based on the context of where we're at in our relationship and what we want it to look like. I think the more important thing is giving your relationship time to see the patterns and to see potential red flags, to see also like green lights, to be able to see what is there. So it's not necessarily about, I mean, that does require some time, but you're right, there's not some formula to say like, okay, if you date for one year and then you should get engaged after the next year and then you should get married a year later, that is not going to guarantee success. There are other factors that are more important. Timing, yeah, I think if you go too fast, that could be problematic, but the important thing is looking for the process, looking for what um, you and your partner bring the relationship and if that is a good fit. So some of it good advice is what, what I'm hearing that the fact that there's not a formula to a successful marriage, particularly in terms of timing woods. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, um, there definitely is no timing formula. I do also agree with Jacob that it's really important to sort of be probably with people for long enough that you are able to clarify your relationship expectations, clarify what you would like in the relationship, what your life goals are, clarify relationship patterns, understand the person that it is that you're committing to. Um, but that is that takes different amounts of time for different people. So overall, good advice. Now we're going to jump back to TikTok, my favorite place to be. Um, at Zach Think Share on TikTok is a new dad and shares advice of how to be a good partner when your partner is pregnant. As I was here soothing my baby while mom is sleeping during my 7-ish to 3-a.m. shift of taking care of her while I bottle feed her. She just had a bottle feeding and now we're soothing her to sleep. So thinking about one of the sacrifices that I made that was really simple that I think all partners should do. Not should consider doing, should just do it. Stay sober with your wife during pregnancy. The reason I think it's really important is being in that mindset for nine months of supporting your partner by not doing something like a a luxury that you get to do that you're free from if you really want to gets you in the mindset that you're not alone, you're a team. I know that training my brain for nine months to be a teammate rather than someone that has just the opportunity to not care if I don't want to has greatly improved my ability to be the partner I want. Good or bad advice? I mean, if that's something that's really important to your partner who's pregnant, and that's something that they're asking for and that they really want, okay. I don't know why he's focusing in on that. There's other ways to be a teammate and a partner that don't require necessarily um, not drinking alcohol. Uh, I... Don't have uh, don't have sandwich meat too. I was just deli meat. Cut out cut out deli meat. Also deli meat. Also no brie cheese. Like soft cheeses. No soft cheeses. And I also don't like this idea that being a teammate is a sacrifice for dads. Right. Like I. Or the only way you can experience being a team member is to sacrifice. Yeah, like if your partner says, hey, I want you to be no drinking while we're doing this, that's going to be important to me. Maybe you have that discussion. But is that good advice for everybody? No, like every relationship is going to look different. And what a partner needs and what your relationship needs when one partner's pregnant is different. Um, my wife's pregnant. I, I'm still having a <laughs> glass of wine. Uh, she doesn't care. That doesn't mean, I don't think that makes me less of a partner or teammate. Um, so bad advice. I just kind of got this sense that he, he was showing off, right? Like to me, it came off this idea, like I'm at the 3 a.m. feeding where I take care of my child and I stayed sober for nine months and it's really helped me. I'm amazing. I feel like he's fishing for like dad compliments, like, you know, how dads, like they do something that moms would typically do and dads get all the praise for it. I think he's reinforcing that cycle. So to me, this is just, sure, if you want to stay sober, do it, but don't put yourself on TikTok saying you're a great dad for doing something that's Yeah. 
Yeah. And I also think if like staying sober for nine months is really, really challenging for you, maybe we (laughs) need to have another conversation. You know what I mean? Like maybe that's not the conversation we're having about how good of a team member. Maybe we need to have a conversation about like abuse and addiction for of substances. Woods, good or bad advice? That's totally where my head went. Uh, That's totally, that's totally where my head went uh, is that if alcohol is such a I mean, it really, it sounded like a big deal for this gentleman. Um, And he equated abstaining from alcohol as being teammates. Like, this is how we're going. I'm going to retrain my brain to become a team with my partner. A, were you not a team before? It's my follow-up question. Uh, And so why do we need to retrain your brain? Uh, B, what sort of place in your life does alcohol have? Um, and, uh, I think it could be really super helpful if the mom is working really hard to abstain from alcohol during pregnancy, it would be really helpful if your partner could do that also, because addiction can be a really shared process that changing any health behavior, uh, when your partner does that can be really supportive. Sure. Um, but I also question, uh, why we are orienting ourselves so much towards, um, alcohol when I agree cheese would have been a bigger issue for me. Yeah, and sushi or, or something along um, those lines, or uh, you know, just not being able to sleep on my belly. Like, no, you have to also sleep on your back. <laughs> that's, right, that's right. That's right. You have to sleep on your side for the next. Swell. Your feet are also going to be swollen, so we can do this together. Not to belittle him too terribly much. Um, I I agree with everything that you guys have said. Being a team member during that process is really really important it sets you up to the the work being a co-parents to the future but sometimes doing things like this feel more performative uh performing being a teammate than actually being a teammate if it helps you get to that spot where you feel that you're actually can contribute as a as a teammate then Maybe. We know that sometimes behavior comes before cognitive change, right? We, we know that from, from science, but it is not necessary. Being a teammate versus doing the performative actions of being a teammate are very, very different, and one is more long-lasting. Spoiler alert, <laughs> the performative stuff is not long-lasting. Last but certainly not least, we have another TikTok uh, at Lauren Peak, share some advice about why being in an old and new relationship might look different. My boyfriend and I are about to celebrate seven years together, and I have to say, after this much time, you really start to understand why couples aren't nice to each other. I don't mean like mean or like abusive, but just not out of your way nice. You know, at the beginning, it's just like eggshells. Ooh, you say the wrong thing at dinner, and he like reactivates his tender while you're taking a shit or whatever. It's all very high stakes. After seven years, you can say whatever you want to each other, okay? The other day, he told me I looked tired, and I told him that his shorts made him look like a divorce carnival cruise director, and I put on under-eye concealer, and he put on better shorts. It's no harm, no foul. It's a healthy relationship. I can say whatever I want to that guy. What's he going to do? Leave? His TV's here. My boyfriend and I are about to- uh, Good or bad advice? <laughs> this is terrible advice. This is bad <laughs> advice. <laughs> right? Like... Oh, yeah, after you're with somebody for long enough, just treat them like shit, and that's going to be amazing. No, that's terrible advice, right? We have tons and tons, decades of research that show that kindness, admiration, um, you know, you can complain, but when you're criticizing and uh, Mm -hmm. having contempt for what your partner does, that's going to erode the relationship. Uh, So this is terrible advice. Like, and also... If your relationship started where you were worried that if you said the wrong thing at dinner, your partner was going to open up Tinder and you had to walk on eggshells, that was a red flag from the beginning. I'm surprised they're still together after seven years. And um, I would really encourage them to reevaluate what's going on um, because that that is not a healthy that is not a healthy relationship advice. So bad advice. Bad advice. Woods. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Um, although I did recently correct a pair of my husband's shorts <laughs> where he came around the corner and my daughter and I looked at each other and then slowly looked at him like, oh, um, top good, bottom good, 
together, not as good. Let's find <laughs> you a different pair of shorts before yeah. we leave the house. Uh, I was very careful about how I said it. It wasn't retaliatory. It wasn't revenge mm. for something he had just said to me. Mm. And it was something that is about the trust we have in the relationship that yeah. I trust that he's going to be able to hear that kind of feedback. And he trusts that I'm not going to let him leave the house looking like he's either swimming or golfing, but doing really neither. So, uh, <laughs> So I think there is um, honesty in safety, but it certainly can't be vengeful. Right. Okay. So overall, bad advice. And just a quick plug for Gottman's Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. If you're concerned that how you uh, um, give advice to your partner, whether it be clothing or how they uh, look under their eyes, and you're not really sure how to phrase that exactly, uh, go check out Gottman's Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse and he'll help you out there. As always, thanks for listening to Attached. Remember, call us, email us, or get at us on all those social medias about any relationship advice you've heard or received and you're wondering whether to follow or pass on. We cannot wait to talk about it.